This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Goodbye baseball, a walk-off. Winner for Mitch Hattiger. Swing, line, drive. This game is over. Goodbye baseball. Mitch Hattiger ties it up here in the bottom of the ninth inning. James Paxton has just thrown a no-hitter. The big lefty is getting mobbed out of the Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. All right, welcome back Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Thanks for being here once again. We have a fun one in store for you today. Mariners taking on the San Francisco Giants starting tonight. A brief two-game series, night game today, day baseball, coming up tomorrow against the Giants. So we'll have a quick preview of the series coming up. No podcast tomorrow with the day game in store, but this one's going to be fun. Mariners were in San Francisco early in the year, at the very beginning of the season. We had a chance to catch up with the great John Miller, longtime play-by-play man of the Giants, longtime MLB play-by-play man, one of the best there is, and a tremendous storyteller. He's, he's going to tell some great stories. So that comes up in a few minutes that I think you'll really enjoy. Dave Henderson, our good friend, former Seattle Mariner, former Oakland A., all-star, World Series winner, and just a great human being. He would have been 60 years old a couple of days ago, so we have a Dave Henderson tribute coming up on the podcast. And Josh Kearns, another tremendous piece. This one I think you'll really enjoy. So that one comes up in a few minutes as well. So we have a ton to get to in this podcast. First, let's quickly take a look at what we'll see in this two-game series against the Giants. One thing... As the Mariners were off yesterday, the A's won again. They beat the Texas Rangers, actually thumped the Rangers, 15-3. Oakland now 58-43. They've won three in a row, 7-3 in their last 10. And now just two and a half back of the Mariners for the second wild card. Houston and Seattle both off last night, so the Mariners come in five games behind the Astros. Houston 66-36, Mariners 60-40. M's, by the way, four games behind the Yankees for the second wild card. Now, Boston has continued to play so well, they've opened up a six-game lead on the Yankees in the East. New York 63-35, and Boston 71-31 and on the season. So James Paxton will get the ball tonight for the Mariners in game one of the series. His coming off the DL, remember he had the back issue last time out, didn't last long at all so he'll take the ball in uh, game one of this brief two-game series 7-10 first pitch so Paxton against the Giants San Francisco a team that is hanging around in the NL West a game above 500 at 51 and 50 in fourth place but just five and a half games separate every team in the division the Dodgers on top Arizona one and a half back Colorado two and a half behind 
And then San Francisco, five and a half back, four teams above 500 in the division. So the Giants hanging around despite some injuries they're dealing with right now. Longoria on the DL with a hand injury. Panic, their second baseman, he's on the DL. Samarja on the DL as well. And Strickland, their closer on the DL. So they're fighting through some injuries. Posey fighting through some stuff as well. Just five home runs so far on the season. So the Giants a little bit banged up. Good news as well for the Mariners. They will miss Bumgarner in the two-game series, it looks like. So that's good news as well. Tonight, the Mariners will see Andrew Suarez. So the lefty will get the ball in game one of the series. Three and six, a 3.94 ERA in 16 starts so far this season. His last time out, four runs in five innings against the A's. Previously, though, he has been outstanding. One run against the Cubs in six innings. One run in Colorado against the Rockies in seven innings. One run at Arizona in six innings. One run against the Padres in five and two-thirds. In fact, you, you peel it back all the way to the beginning of June. So June and halfway through July, he's got a 2.75 ERA. 45 punch-outs in 52 innings, 13 walks. So he is really pitching well. This should be an excellent matchup. And then on Wednesday, Mike Leak, a one-time giant, not for very long, 110 first pitch, he'll take the ball. TBA going for San Francisco in Game 2 of the series at 110. So a big two-game series for the Mariners with the A's close behind. Thursday and off day and then on the road for a brief three-game series against the Angels. We'll talk more about that and podcasts coming up this week. But let's have some fun with the Giants in town. Here's the great John Miller. Ah, yes, the voice of the great John Miller, who we are privileged to have in our teeny tiny radio booth right now. And I've got Rick Riz on the other side of me, so I'm just surrounded by greatness. And there's Aaron Goldsmith over here, too, for the round. Pulling up the cavalry back here. Oh, Shannon Dreyer here as the Mariners get set for game two against the Giants. And as I mentioned, we are we are so happy to have you here, John. And uh, you know what? Yesterday, uh, it was just uh, you get the uh, opposing team's openers, and you're always kind of wondering what you're going to see in a show. You guys can put on a show. So much history here. I don't know that the, uh, the people in the dugout were all that happy with it because the game didn't start till 12 minutes late. <laughs> but uh, the... The Giants do know how to put on a show like that. So the the other team that can put on a great pregame show with their history and whatnot is the Yankees. If you're ever at Yankee Stadium for some big show like that, it's really something to see. So, uh, But I think the Giants, uh, somewhere along the way, decided we should be celebrating the great history of this franchise and that predates the move to San Francisco. Yesterday was all about 60 years of baseball here, right. but they had – 75 years of baseball in New York before that. And when they moved to San Francisco, the New York Giants became the San Francisco Giants. But Willie Mays was a New York product, and uh, the, the Giants' history was a New York thing. And I, uh, Horace Stoneham was a New York guy, the owner of the ball club. And so they embraced that whole New York history because it was a pretty good history. And uh, I used to do the games in Baltimore. They had been the St. Louis Browns, not a very good history, <laughs> not a very good franchise for most of its history. They were a last-place team, a cellar dweller most of the time. And the Orioles just said, 
Forget about the Browns. Uh, they never existed. And, uh, <laughs> for the, the Orioles, Orioles, in their book, the whole franchise started in 1954 when they moved to Baltimore. So it, it could have gone that way here in San Francisco, too, but the Giants embraced their entire history. And you were the voice of the Orioles in 83 when they won it, right? The first year I went to Baltimore, I had been doing the Red Sox games. I've, I've had a lot of different jobs. I had a hard time <laughs> holding a job, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I had done the Red Sox games and then moved to Baltimore in time for the 83. I was so wow. grateful to Eddie Murray and Cal Ripken and Jim Palmer and all those guys for winning the World Series. I felt like it was for me because, <laughs> really, when you come to a new franchise and they win, it makes you sound good as the because broadcaster. Of you, yeah, exactly. you get a lot of comments, a lot of compliments on your broadcaster. Last night when they came from behind with the four-run ninth inning, man, you were great. <laughs> <laughs> you don't hear that that often when they blow a lead in the ninth inning, and uh, the next day people say, well, they blew it, it was a horrible game, but you were you know, No, you don't hear that. It's, uh, well, it's always when they win. So uh, I was very grateful to them. And, uh, and they had been the best team in the American League for a long, long time, going – from the sometime in the 60s up until about 83, 84. Yeah. And then they had a downward spiral culminating 30 years ago with the all-time record 21-game losing streak to start the season, yeah. uh, which, I mean, nobody's even come close to that before or since. And I'm happy to say that because that's impossible. Yeah. A college team would win one of those 21 games. <laughs> and and I would not wish it on anybody. Some people kind of re- look back at it now and say, hey, that was well, kind of a crazy time. <laughs> <laughs> but for the people who were there, oh my goodness. it was yeah. the worst of times in yeah. every way. And nobody who was there remembers it fondly. But I will say that Joe Angel and I were the broadcasters on the radio. And... They were interviewing us. Sometimes in the morning, I'd wake up in the hotel at 6 with a phone call, and I was doing talk shows from 6 o'clock in the morning till noon, and I finally would just not answer the phone. I'd go down a back stairway because there were 100 reporters standing around in the lobby at the, the team hotel. There were there were 200-something media people that were traveling yeah. with the ball club because this was a big story, and nobody wanted to talk about it. But uh, the Washington Post later did uh, – Joe and I put the – on, they put us on the cover of the Sunday magazine, you know, a, a big, high-quality, uh, glossy uh, paper magazine. And they had a headline that said, how do these guys make something so bad sound so good? Wow. And I said to Very Joe, nice. I said, you know, I wouldn't wish this. I, I would not wish this on my worst enemy, but... It's work. It's making us famous. It's yeah. <laughs> probably the best thing that ever happened to us. <laughs> when you think about this division and the broadcasters in it, John, the National League West is now getting used to not having Vin Scully in it. I know you and Vin are very close. What's it like for you to when the Dodgers come to town and you go to L.A. and there's no John Miller and Vin Scully? I, I, I miss him. The best thing about doing the Giants games was because they played the Dodgers so often that we saw Vin Scully yeah. 19 times a year. Uh, we'd have dinner with him in the press room, and, uh, and he'd tell stories, and we'd talk about different things. Uh, and he, not just a warm human being, but a guy who loved to laugh. And I remember I was always fascinated in the old broadcasters, you know, the uh, Red Barber. And Vinny came up under Red Barber. Red Barber selected him as uh, the young guy that he thought had great talent that could be molded into a top-notch broadcaster and of course he was 
way wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, so, and Vinny always talks fondly about Red Barber. So I remember buying these old tapes of Brooklyn Dodger games so I could hear Red Barber in his prime. And you could hear it at Ebbets Field, the old Ebbets Field, in the background very clearly in these old tapes, the public address announcer. Because I, I like ballparks, and I like the whole feel of a ballpark, yeah. and I like the sounds of the ballpark, and I love those very distinctive PA men. And they had a guy in Brooklyn named Tex Rickard, which makes you think he's probably from Fort Worth or something, <laughs> right? No, he's from Brooklyn. <laughs> and, uh, and he had this Brooklyn accent. He said, batting in the number three position. Number four, Duke Snyder, center field. Thank you. So, so uh, Ernie Harwell, who started in Brooklyn, yeah, told me a story that uh, they went to Tex Rickard before a game, and they said, Tex, uh, when a guy leaves the game, we're going to go to the clubhouse, get the information as to why he left the game. And give that to you, and you can make that announcement. It'll be like a, a public service for the fans, so they know why he left. So that day, the, the Dodgers had a guy named Dolph Camilli, a, a San Francisco guy. And he had the flu, and he was throwing up and whatnot. And he played an inning, and then they took him out. So they sent this message to Tex Rickard. Tex says, ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. For Brooklyn, Dolph Camilli had to leave the game course, he don't feel good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yous. <laughs> so, and I told that story to Vinny. Oh, and, and the best feeling in life was to get a huge laugh from Vin Scully. Yeah. Because, you know, what it's almost like where he's out of control. And he's never out of control on the air. Right. He's the consummate professional. But to see him slap his thigh and, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Now, that's, that's the Vince Scully that I knew. Yeah. <laughs> Not to ask, John, for your greatest hits all at one time, but can you tell us about Vince Scully in three languages? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I grew up a Giants fan here in, in the Bay Area, and the Giants played mostly day games in those days at Candlestick, the early 60s. Tuesdays and Fridays were the only days of the week that they would play a night game because it was too cold it was the only reason I could figure. Yeah. Now comes September, and they're in a pennant race with the Dodgers. 62 was a, one, of the, one of the great pennant races. And they finished tied, and they had the best of three playoff to determine the pennant winner. And so the Giants would play in the afternoon, and then I would tune in the Dodgers. They were on a very powerful station, KFI, 50,000-watt station. And at nighttime, it, come, it would come in like a local station here. And I'd listen to Vinny do, do those games. And so I heard Vinny a lot as a kid. And I was a total Giants fan. I hated the Dodgers. I hated Maury Wills especially. And I thought, uh, and, and, and Russ Hodges and Lon Simmons had home run calls. Russ would say, uh, you know, tell it, bye-bye, baby, when the Giants hit a home run. And you get goosebumps if, as a Giants fan. And, you know, Lon would tell it, goodbye, and it goosebumps again. And I heard Vinny do a home run. He was like, oh, way back in, she's gone. You know, I remember thinking <laughs> as a 10-year-old, oh, no wonder he's working on a jerkwater town like L.A. <laughs> yeah, that's all he's got. I'll tell you one thing. He's never going to get out of that town. That <laughs> and that was the one thing I was right about as a 10-year-old. You know, all these years he, he was still there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 67 years. But when you used to have a lot of young guys. You'd get tapes from guys. 
uh, hoping to get a shot in the big leagues. And f- for a long period of time, they all sounded like Vince Scully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was as if they all said, yeah. how do you do this thing? Well, he's the best, so I should just sound like Vince Scully. And, and I thought, well, that's a great tribute to Vinny. And then, uh, so I would say, uh, then we went to Japan, and I had a chance at long last to hear the legendary voice of the Tokyo Giants, uh, Genshiro Asami, who was a real guy, by the way. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> and so I knew of the legend of Asami-san, but I'd never heard Asami-san. So I had a great sense of uh, anticipation. I turned on the, the TV to, at long last hear him. And it put me off a little bit because he came on and he was doing Vinny. No way. Otashiwa Karako in the stadium, ni orimas. Hajime mashde dozyarushku lo. I actually had a chance to do that with Vinny one night on a, back in the, sometime in the 80s. He was still doing the game of the week in NBC. Yeah. And I was with the Orioles in Seattle. Ah, Seattle, you beautiful town. If you have a it chance is. to get up there, I'd go. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Spend as much time as you can up there. I'm playing it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the guy ultimately asked about the Vince Scully impression. Yeah. So Vinny's in a studio in New York. I'm in a studio in Seattle, and we're in this satellite hookup. So I do the Vince Scully in Japanese thing. Yeah. And now Vinny in New York, he starts speaking Japanese, which I thought, whoa, now that's cool. <laughs> and uh, so... You know, and I had another bit where he's down in, uh, I, I go to Venezuela and hear the Venezuelan broadcaster and, uh, uh, you know, Cal Ripken tiene 27 home runs in el año detrás. Ripken viene a bola, saca, foul. Dos y dos. El partido de baseball con Farmer Juan. <laughs> so, anyway, the, at the very end of the thing, the guy says, uh, well, then he, uh, John does this little impression of you, and uh, how do you feel about that? And he says, uh, well, I can see that there's a fine line between having fun and making fun, but I take it as all being done in good fun. Although, I will say, I'm much happier being the imitatee rather than the imitator. <laughs> 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 no. So now I'm, I leave the studio, and I'm walking downtown. I'm heading over to the Pike Street Market or whatever, and mm. I'm thinking to myself, having fun, making fun, <laughs> and uh, having an imitating. And I'm thinking, wow. And this is 20 minutes after things over. I'm thinking, did he just cut me up into a 1,000 pieces? <laughs> <laughs> and you and never I'm do just it. now realizing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wish we had a rain delay right now. Oh, if we had a rain delay, we, would, know, we have buddy. got about one minute to go, and I just have to ask you. I grew up outside of Chicago about two hours, and I listened to Harry Carey on the radio, and I fell in love with radio and baseball at about the same time. And I wasn't sure radio would still be here when I was old enough to do radio. Radio is surviving. Baseball and radio is surviving. What, what, why is that so special? I think baseball is, number one, best on radio. Mm-hmm. And... It's a great sport for radio because although <laughs> these shifts now, these big overshifts are changing things a little bit, but when there's a guy hits a ground ball to first, the first baseman's at first. He didn't switch, you know, just as the ball was about to be pitched, like in the NBA or something. A fly ball to right, the right field isn't right. Uh, and I think so it's, it's easy to follow on uh, radio. Hmm. Television, it's more passive. Ernie Harwell used to say the game on television, that's the movie version. And the game on radio, that's the novel, where the 
the viewer on television is passive and just watches the game. On the radio, like reading the novel, they're an active participant with the broadcaster. They, they mm-hmm. take your descriptions and they translate them into images. And I think the, the, the reason that these guys right here are so good uh, and the good ones, they create those vivid pictures and they grab the listener and bring them into the ballpark. And, uh, and so now you create those images and, and you experience the game in a unique way because maybe you see their images from the second deck, first base side, where you usually sit when you go to the ballpark. So uh, rather than being just fed the pictures that they give you, and that's it. So uh, yeah. uh, I think it's a summertime game. People are out and about. Uh, maybe they're on vacation. And the radio goes with you. Wherever you go, the radio goes with you. So uh, baseball and the radio, a beautiful marriage. So theater. Theater in your mind. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you know, you know, as Lon Simmons, the great Giants broadcaster, Hall of Famer, uh, his daughter, whenever she'd come to a ball game, it, it, it was it's like a standing Lon Simmons household joke, I guess. And he'd see his daughter, says, uh, Robin, how you doing? And he says, uh, says uh, great. He says, did you enjoy the game? He says, yeah. And it was really, uh, I enjoyed it because it was like two games. There was the game I saw, and then there was the game you broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, John, thank you so much. Thank All right. you, John. All right. All the best. Great John Miller here. And now a tremendous piece by Josh Kearns. Every year the Mariners get lots of letters asking for help, but one in particular recently stood out. To whom it may concern, my name is Cassandra Reese and I am currently a senior at Mapton Junior Senior High School. You could easily blow past the eastern Washington farm town of Mapton and miss it entirely. Our population is uh, that of uh, 87% free and reduced lunch. And with that we have about 22% of our students are classified as migrant, which means they move. where the work is basically um and then you know what we do is we have to a lot of what we have to do is fundraise needless to say they don't have much there so when softball coach ron rutz learned the mariners were offering new grants to help deserving baseball and softball programs he told his team captain cassandra about it and she immediately sent in her application detailing the horrendous conditions of her team's so-called field last year especially Game after game had been canceled and practices were restricted to only batting cages, all because of the lake our field had become. I can assure you that absolutely no one has anything good to say about our field, and no one necessarily enjoys being here to play. We don't even have dugouts. We have fences and benches that we share with the whole school. Pre-game wasn't just for getting out equipment, it was also for tracking down the benches from the opposite side of the school. Our field normally, uh, it's filled with rocks so right after we got done with warm-ups and stuff we'd pick up rocks like fill our whole glove with rocks throw them over the fence right next to the fire hydrant every single day after practice or after warm-ups our last couple of games my um june my the season of my junior year they were canceled because puddles like as big as lakes basically just filling our field yeah not to mention it was so dangerous umpires would actually instruct the girls not to slide in some games just to avoid injury. When we got done with our season last year, I asked the girls, I said, girls, what do you want? Because we can fundraise for stuff. And most all of them said, coach, we want a new field. And we've had our issues with our field where when it rains, we, can't get, we couldn't get on it for two or three days. We had to go hit in the cage because that wasn't flooded. I truly believe that the Mapton Junior Senior High School girls softball team is the, one of the most deserving of this grant and will benefit the most from it as well. I just hope other people could believe that too. 
Sincerely, Cassandra Ruiz. Cassandra's letter would land on the desk of Mariners Community Relations Coordinator Mackenzie Mitchell. She's overseeing a new program the M's launched this year as part of the team's on-base initiative. It helps support disadvantaged youth baseball and softball programs statewide. Reading all of the letters was encouraging but also heartbreaking to an extent because you realize the um, the struggles that so many communities in our state face and we have such a diverse range of communities um, not only geographically but socioeconomically um, different lots of different backgrounds so we had applicants from inner city schools from rural communities um, from logging communities on the Canadian border. But Cassandra's letter in particular really hit home. It's not just going to practice. It's can I go to practice because, you know, I have to babysit my my little brother because my both my parents work, you know, two jobs. Um, do I need to go to work and help put food on the table for our family? So when we read Mabton's letters about their field use and how it was challenging for them to even practice and how it was dangerous because they just couldn't afford to have um, field renovations and play safe softball. That was something that we thought, okay, we need to step in and make this to where they can even just play. So the Mariners awarded one of 10 grants to the Mapton softball program for its field. It's only $5,000. But for these kids and their community, it's the world. I mean, it's just, it, it's a godsend. I mean, it, I, when Mackenzie called me, I broke down because I, I was so excited. I sounded probably like a blundering idiot when I was talking to her because I just, I remember pacing back and forth and I was smiling so wide. I think if somebody was next to me, I probably would have knocked them over with my smile. That's how excited, you know, everything was. was and, and for these kids, you know, who, I, I mean, not an easy life with all of the other challenges and all that. How important is, I mean, just sports in general and softball and community and then actually just getting a few, I mean, this is not like, oh my God, you know, here's a million dollars, but just even that little difference, how much of a difference does that make? I think it makes a big difference. I mean, it's everything for us to be able to just get something in return. We, we're all hard workers there in Mapton and we don't have much and we cherish what we have as much as we can. And it's things like this, even if it doesn't seem like that much to other schools, it means the world to us. That's why they call it Mariner's Care. We genuinely do care about our communities because we see these folks um, on a day-to-day -day basis. It's, it's nothing of a marketing tactic to us. In fact, there's a lot of the things we do, we intentionally try to do behind the scenes because we know that where the impact happens isn't in front of a camera. It's not, you know, in front of a screen. It's it's the one-on-one -on -one contact with these folks and it's getting to hear these stories and learning more about just the humanity that we all share. And that humanity was on display recently when Cassandra, Coach Ron, and the rest of the Lady Vikes got to come to Safeco Field for a special on-field ceremony. And even though her field won't exactly be on par with Safeco, it'll be tons better with gleaming new turf, clean dirt, and real dugouts. And while Cassandra has graduated now and won't get to actually play on it in a real game, for the rest of her life, she'll know she played a huge part in making it a reality. We're all very close in Mapton, you know, small town. We know everybody, and I know that these girls deserve everything. Like, I want to give my team the world, like, if I could. Rest assured, Cassandra, you most certainly did. For the Mariners Magazine, I'm Josh Kearns reporting.
And our tribute to the great Dave Henderson. Hendu will always hold a very unique place in Seattle Mariners history. He was drafted with the Mariners' very first draft pick in the first round, the 26th pick of the 1977 draft. And it didn't take long before Dave Henderson was making an impact in the major leagues for the Seattle Mariners. Fly ball to left, and it hits the foul pole. It's out of here. Dave Henderson, a sensational young rookie, has home run number six. Hendu spent parts of six seasons in a Seattle Mariners uniform. And although his production was impressive, home runs, RBIs, batting average, they don't tell the entire Dave Henderson story. Here's Mariners broadcaster Rick Riz. I saw a guy that loved playing the game of baseball. He always had that megawatt gap tooth smile going. Uh, he loved the game. He loved to play it. And he was really good at playing the game the right way. The 0-2 pitch swung on. Fly ball deep in the right field. Brunanski going back and this one is gone. The ball game is over. David Henderson wins it. Former Mariners catcher and teammate. Dave Valley. His smile and the joy that he had playing the game of baseball, it just struck me how much fun this guy was having on a baseball field. Uh, I was totally the opposite. I was too too focused, over-focused, and uh, just watching Hendu, I, I used to always think, gosh, I wish I could approach the game of baseball like he does. The 2-1 pitch to David now, and the change curve is belted deep to left. It's a grand, grand salami. It will Former Mariners shortstop and teammate Spike Owen. His smile, his attitude, he's like a kid playing the game. And Spike Owen will always have a very unique connection to Dave Henderson. On August 19, 1986, both traded to the Boston Red Sox, where Dave Henderson would take center stage in the playoffs. Red Sox Angels, the Angels playing with a 3-1 series lead. Top of the ninth inning, two outs, one on, two strikes to Hendu. To left field and deep and down he goes back and it's gone. Unbelievable. You're looking at one for the ages here. Anaheim Stadium was a strike away from turning into fantasy land. One of the most famous home runs in postseason history, propelling the Red Sox to a series win and a meeting with the Mets in the 1986 World Series. Every kid in their backyard have always pictured this 3-2 count, you know, bottom of the ninth, you hit a home run, you go yay. We've all done that as little kids, but I actually got to do it in a major league game, in a playoff game, and do it. And it's one of those thrills that uh, will never leave me. Game six of the World Series, a tied ball game. Red Sox with a 3-2 series lead looking to win the World Series. In the top of the 10th inning, one swing of the bat, Hendu broke the tie. And a drive to left. Going back on it is Mookie Wilson, and this one is gone. Henderson has done it again. It would have been remembered as one of the most famous home runs in World Series history. Instead, an infamous play took its place. Little roller up along first, behind the bat. wasn't the only time Hendu was on the field for a spectacular and historical World Series moment. Gibson swings and a fly ball to deep right field. This is going to be a home run. Unbelievable. 
A's were swept by the Dodgers in that World Series, but Hindu and Oakland found themselves back in the World Series the very next season against the San Francisco Giants. And Hindu again present for a World Series moment that we'll never forget. Second base, so the Oakland A's take... Take... I'll tell you what, we're having an earthquake. A devastating earthquake halted the World Series, a two-games-to-none lead for the Oakland A's at that point. It would not be continued for 10 more days, and when it did continue, Dave Henderson back to his heroics. And here's another towering drive to deep center field. Butler goes back, and Henderson has hit his second home run. The Oakland A's would sweep that series, and Hendu would claim a World Series ring. We play baseball, uh, you know, since we were kids, and we all talk about winning, but everybody knows in baseball you don't win all the time. So actually winning the whole thing, it's just, uh, it's overwhelming. And the best thing is your family gets to watch. They get to take that ride with you. It's more about other people, and we just play the game, but we do get to brag with that big ring after it's all over. Dave Henderson played in four different World Series, 20 games overall, hit 324, launched four home runs in World Series play, an all-star game, 14 years in the big leagues. A World Series ring, MVP votes, but all of it pales in comparison to the impact he made with those around him. He's a lovable guy, man, and he's greatly missed not only, you know, for you know, when he played and everybody that he touched in the game of baseball, but as you mentioned, off the field. Uh, I don't know. I have never met a person that didn't love Dave Henderson off the field because of his presence, because of his smile, because of his positive attitude. Uh, he, he was he's uh He's sorely missed. Former teammate, neighbor, and Mariners ace, Mark Langston. Dave Henderson. We tip our cap to his career. We celebrate his legacy. And we miss our friend. How much fun he had on the field. How much fun he had off the field. But how caring he was towards other people. If you met him for the very first time and only took a second, you felt like you knew this guy your entire life. We talk about people lighting up a room when they walked in. He was like a comet. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 